Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're recording. Um, folks, welcome to the Stop the World podcast, making its uh, sort of comeback here, where essentially I sit down with people who their DMs I have no business being in, you know, and uh, every so often someone gets back to me and actually agrees to come on and we just chop it up. We have a chat, we have a laugh and we put the <laughs> craziness of the current world on pause. And I'm very excited today uh, as I'm joined with my guest, Alex Wolf. Um, Hi. Alex, for uh, anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with your work, um, could you describe uh, could you describe what it is you do and sort of introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, I am a creative executive producer. I run a branded content studio where we basically make media, storytelling, audio, and video for brands. But um, the subject matter in which we make that media is surrounds tech philosophy, innovation, economics, culture, and history. Um, and my background is in entrepreneurship. I started a company in 2014, which was a lifestyle brand for millennial women. And it kind of took off on social media and I sold it in 2018 to pursue tech philosophy and the relationship between um, human nature and just the everyday technology that we use and how it changes our um, behavior and relationships and things like that. So I have a podcast and I also host these conversations on there. (laughs) And Alex, do you remember like sort of your first inclination sort of that made you think that tech philosophy is the route that you want to go down yeah I think um well I was listening to Alan Watts a lot and then I was also reading a lot of Neil Postman and those are two very influential figures in my work and so Alan Watts talks a lot about eastern philosophy um and Neil Postman his study is around media ecology so how um, media affects our environments and I've always loved technology and I've just always seen the lens of philosophy through tech like I just see how much the meaning of our lives is controlled um, through the current technology in our environments and even in history if you look in you know different civilizations and societies they were heavily influenced by whatever um, technological advances they had or or lack thereof. So I really think that, um, you know, what the difference between, you know, me and you and a caveman is the technology. Most of our, you know, basic human nature is the same, um, but which is also beautiful, but the technology is like the big, big difference. (laughs) Do you think that's kind of like, it's interesting there that you said about kind of, what separates us from the cavemen in general. And yeah. do you think that's why a lot of people now are starting to, you know, because I, I listened to your podcast where you talked about how millennials are the generation that feel most misaligned with their age. Yeah. Um, 
do you think that's why there's so much talk now of like you know kind of coming off social media and appreciating small things in life and you know like even over here like in Ireland I would always hear of my mother and father talk about how you know times were so much simpler and they genuinely feel that people were happier because they didn't Mm -hmm. have access to this technology how do you sort of feel about that yeah I think that you know every life stage is different and millennial the millennial generation is entering a different life stage most of us have entered it right where it's like it's not early adulthood it's now like the stage right before middle adulthood which is kind of crazy um and so at this life stage we have different desires we have different questions we have different things that make us feel like life is worth living And as far as people kind of retreating back to simplicity, I love that um, sort of, I don't know, migration or direction, because what that does is it poses the question of, you know, how advanced does technology really have to get? And is advancing it, is making it bigger, is it making it cheaper or faster, actually doing, you know, what you know giving us a worth a worthy life you know um because (laughs) there might be a point of preservation is what I like to call it where it's like you know what's the point of building the technology if we're creating an environment or a culture in which you know suicide is is going up and anxiety is going up and people are just generally not happy isn't you know the point of a civilized community in having technology that makes us feel civilized and that you know makes us want to be a part of it (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely it's funny because like even there my my mother will like sit in awe sometimes of like you know if I have friends over or anything and she always would laugh at how she's like you guys can never just sit in silence and have a conversation like you have to have the office on in the background as if to Mm -hmm. like you know, any lulls in conversation are saved by Steve Carell. And she's like, that's absolutely <laughs> insane to me. Um, and I, I think I, I started thinking about that more where it's like, uh, you know, if I even think about my own sort of, you know, media consumption where it's like I wake up, if I'm going for a walk, I listen to a podcast. Uh, if I'm traveling, I'm listening to a podcast or music. And yeah. you're sort of like, when did you actually get a second to be alone with your own thoughts for a bit? Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, we have a, an appetite for a lot of stimulation, hyperstimulation, because that's what our brain is really used to right now. So even like reading a book, a lot of us will end up falling asleep because the words on the page aren't moving and they're not talking and there aren't, you know, images. Um, and so because we've been immersed in this like hyper stimulant media environment, um, it it absolutely just makes less stimulating experiences not attractive. And one of the things I talk about is how trying to kind of allow for boredom helps you recalibrate your appetite because the irony is that, you know, most of the meaning and the depth that we feel is missing can be felt in these less stimulating environments, but you have to, again, like kind of recalibrate your brain to know how to appreciate them because if not, it'll just take it for granted and it won't really identify what's special about it. So I always say allow for some boredom um, because yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Absolutely. I actually, I funny, I read something there the other day, a friend of mine shared on her Instagram and, you know, a lot of people that, you know, they'll post like pages in books and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you're like, is that just to show that you're a reader? Like, are you kind of broadcast the people that you indeed <laughs> read books? But then sometimes <laughs> like, you know, someone will share something and I'm like, I'm so grateful they share that to their story because I'm just like, this is something that maybe everyone should read. Um, yeah. And it talks about, um, it talks about something Maslow talked about where he talked about higher ceilings of human nature and mm-hmm. the concept of uh, the peak experience. Um, so just the experience of sudden overwhelming happiness um, mm. where people just felt like, you know, the feeling in general that life is wonderful. And he discovered that healthy people will have these on a regular basis. So uh, yeah. an, an example of a PE um, was a young mother just sitting watching her husband and children eating breakfast. And all of a sudden she's overwhelmed by this feeling of how much she loves them and how lucky mm-hmm. she is to have them. And she went into this peak experience. Um, mm-hmm. But what he's basically trying to say in it as well was he said about how it's it's she was lucky before she went into peak experience the peak experience simply involved becoming aware of how lucky she was and yep. um i absolutely love that because i'll think about that sometimes myself where you know like even something like pretty mundane where it's mm-hmm. like you're just having a coffee yep. with a friend and then sometimes my mind will go into all the reasons why that's great i'm like you yeah. know I'm in a country where coffee is readily available. Um, yeah. I have a friend that's willing to take time out of their day to have a coffee with me. And I'm in a financial position where I can buy the luxury item of coffee. Exactly. Well, you know, it's so funny you say that. And I love that you're saying that because that is where I see tech philosophy play out, right? When we're talking about the mother seeing her children and her husband eat at the table and use simple instruments such as forks and spoons. <laughs> um, these are, you know, I always like to to point out that that is technology. You know, any invention that we create, especially widespread ones, are technology. They're not just fancy iPhones. Um, and it's important to see that because we we redevelop our relationship with it and we are more liable to have these peak experiences and the same thing with the coffee you know it's like we've created a system in which it costs a couple bucks to have a, a cup of coffee and that's pretty incredible um one of my favorite ones is plumbing like just being able to take a hot shower is like <laughs> miraculous <Yeah>. to me <laughs> Like I love, I'm, I'm all about like temperature to me. Temperature is a luxury, like having controlled temperatures. Um, so, you know, having air conditioning when it's hot and having heat when it's cold, that is beautiful. That will give you those peak experiences if you can see it. But like to your point, if you have a million things playing in the background, you know, you just take those for granted. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just feel like, you know, if the mind is capable of, because everyone will have the right where it's like, you know, you can start thinking about bad things that are currently going on in your life and that can send you down a rabbit hole where you just sort of think, you know, oh, you know, you can catastrophize or think too deeply into something or even like make up narratives in your head that don't exist. But then on the flip yeah. side of that, the brain is also as capable of going down a deeper rabbit hole of how great everything is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so your book resonate deals with building a loyal audience through social mm-hmm. media. Yes. What would you say in your opinion is the common issue that you find with people who struggle with this? Well, I think it's very related to what we're speaking about, which is basically what my work is all about is getting people to stop fixating on the mechanical overlay on top of the very organic and immeasurable aspects of life. Now, to unpack that, what I mean is that in one case, we can be talking about, you know, I say often, you know, you don't want to mistake the map for the territory. The map is the mechanical overlay. It's literally how we calculate and navigate, you know, land and space. Um, But it is not, we all know that the map is not the same as walking the land and being there and that you don't necessarily need a map if you can become intimate with the territory. Um, And so, yeah, it still applies in social media, ironically, because uh, many creators and people who want to build audiences, they are very fixated. They are hypnotized by algorithms. They're hypnotized by, um, you know, people who go viral overnight and trying to uh, re-engineer that process. And they're all forgetting about the people. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, if you want to build an audience of people, you want to focus on the people. And I think that it's okay to, you know, familiarize yourself with how an algorithm might work or what type of content gets the best engagement and things like that. But if you're just going into this to please that mechanical overlay, that map, that, you know, again, the the part of it that we use just to use as a guide, which it's not the actual thing, then you're you're gonna have a frustrating time and you're also going to feel like a failure if you're not seeing immediate responses um, because you know you're focused on the wrong thing so my experience in building my first company and and even my the company I'm running now is just you know you got to focus on on human nature the things that won't change I was just on a clubhouse conversation and they're like you know what what social media do you think we're going to be using in five years and I'm like who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> like the point is like, I was like, we'll be lucky if we're here in five years. Like let's just focus on us first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. Like I, I think um, I totally get what you're saying. The, the algorithms themselves can be quite the temptress because, you know, if you're making content and next thing, you know, you have a couple of things that, maybe semi pop off even, you know, and you're getting the views and you're getting the clicks and you're getting the likes. And it's, as you say, it's all like stimuli that's coming at you at once. Yeah. And you're, and next thing you know, then if you're not careful, you can find yourself in this constant feedback loop where you're putting stuff out and you're more concerned with the reaction to it than you were with actually making the thing, you know, Mm -hmm. which, um, yeah, that's that's even like I even think about my own field of like comedy, and yeah, you know, the, there are there are ways where you can be like you know people put out like videos and skits and sketches and stuff like that, and it's all great content. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it can be very handy to sort of fall down. You know, you find one formula that works, 
And then next thing you know, you kind of feel this pressure to keep putting out these sketches that, you know, you're past the point of believing in yourself, but right. you built up this kind of, again, narrative in your head where you're like, if I don't keep putting out this stuff, then people will stop caring. Yeah. It's interesting. So I, I actually have a question about that um, uh-huh. to you. <laughs> as far as comedy, the field of comedy, which I have utmost, utmost respect for, um, you know, I have a comedian friend who kind of, you know, he he's the type that he'll go to, you know, a comedy bar every night. And he just he's just he doesn't care. He's doing it the very like old school New York way. Let me get in front of a real audience. You know, of course, it's like pre-COVID and just go. Even if I bomb, he's doing stand up every night, every night. And he kind of doesn't have you know, and this is his opinion. He doesn't have too much respect for like the IG quote unquote IG comedians who do the skits because to your point, it's a very different type of skill. Um, and it's one that doesn't automatically translate into what a, you know, big time professional comedian would need to do as far mm-hmm. as just like stand up and movies and stuff like that. Now, how is the and I have my opinion, but I'm just curious because you're, you're in this world. How does like the industry of comedy respond? Are they, you know, this comedian I'm talking about, he has a, a good like in-person, you know, live interaction, but his social media following doesn't compare to like the people who are doing the skits. Now, my question is just like, how does how do people who are responsible for hiring this type of talent, are they smart enough to know that like hiring the kid with a bunch of like skits might not automatically translate into what they're looking for? Or are those people getting like the better deals? Um, it Honestly, it depends because <laughs> I've heard like, so the interesting thing with stand up, right? Is yeah. that's the thing that I gravitated towards. I was like, you know, I kind of fell into it by accident. I hosted like, um, like my high school prom awards and oh, nice. like felt the reception of like live feedback. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I just remember just getting a laugh and being like, Oh, I like that. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> doing the awards and then thinking that was just a cool thing I got to do, but I'll never get to do it again. And then yeah. like, a uh, my best friend now, Colin Geddes, he was, uh, still is, sorry, a comedian that, you know, I saw originally his skits online. Um, and he sort of went into stand up, uh, after he did like skits and like still does yeah. skits and does podcasts. Now he's an anomaly in that he is great at all three. Colin's right, right. podcast is fantastic. His stand up is amazing his skits are hilarious, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the issue is, is that you'll find some comedians get disheartened because they love the stand-up. The stand-up is like their bread and butter. Yeah. But, you know, they then become disheartened if their sketches aren't going off, which, you know, are translating the ticket sales. But the, the annoying thing is that, like I've met with agents before and I've yeah. sat down and I'm like, this is great. This is hopefully going to take me to the next level. And the first thing they all ask is, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to perform in clubs and I want to sell tickets and I want to do theaters and I just want to keep gigging. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, have you got a script or, you know, it's like uh, stand up is this thing where I saw a tweet that summed it up perfectly where it was like, you know, a comedian 
way back could just have like a tight 15 about how much he hates his wife. But now it's like you have to have oh. a podcast. You got to be, you know, a skit You have to have maker. this whole like media ecosystem. Yeah. That's like constantly interesting. this one thing that you like to do. Well, it depends because some people, like I'm one of them people where I, I have a podcast and I enjoy doing it. And I also enjoy doing like this here right now where it's like, I'm not right. trying to be funny or anything. I'm just like having a conversation with someone that I find to be very interesting. Um, because, you know, like uh, I said, like your podcast to me feels like I'm at a house party at 3 a.m. And I'm chatting to somebody about the deeper things. In life. I love that. <laughs> I got to use some of that in my, my copy when I'm promoting it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, cause I, I feel like what, what I really like about your podcast is how openly you speak. And I, I think, I don't know. I think uh, Americans in general are quite like that. Like I find you guys aren't really that good with small talk, you know, <laughs> like I remember, I remember being at like this, like random, like a friend of a friend type party. Uh-huh. And uh, there's this grown man and he's like putting his child to bed and then like came downstairs and I was just standing at the bottom of the stairs as he came down and mm-hmm. I haven't met this guy and he's like oh you're Peter's friend right and I was like yeah 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 and he's like yeah never have children and I was like <laughs> <laughs> so you're not even gonna like go into the dialogue here of like why I'm at your you house or like so I think that we're so jaded over here like it's not even that like I feel like we do have small talk or there was a time, but I feel like this culture has exploited all of our, it, it's just like, um, it, it's blasted our neurons. Like we're just like burnt out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think that that contributes to people saying random things like that. But I like that though. Like I really, I really like people that are just like, very much themselves from the get-go very much like show their flaws are very open about who they are like um you know that's why like I used to have this bit where I talked about how I hate dating or I hate the Mm -hmm. initial stages of dating because you know if you've went through a breakup you know you've just you know you've been with someone for a certain amount of time and you've like exposed your soul to this person you know you've like you've you basically know the cheat code of what makes them them and then if that ends and then you find yourself back out there and mm-hmm. you go on a date with someone and it's just like, so what kind of movies do you like? And like, have you seen, <laughs> do you like Adam Sandler? Like, it's just like such base level shit. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it feels like you're starting all over again. All yeah. It's like again. the the memory card got wiped in the PlayStation and now you're playing tutorials again, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you talk as well about, uh, you know, for finding an audience in your book, you talk about intangible value. And yes. I'm just wondering what exactly that means to you. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, the way I put it is that we're in an economy right now, and I'm not sure how it is in Ireland, but in the States, at least, I can say that most people are buying things not because they need them, but because they want them. Most of our needs are met. Um, most of what we need to survive is accessible and cheap and, um, you know, affordable. And so we are now in this place where people are buying things to self-affirm their identity, to get closer to other people who are like-minded. And 
um, basically, instead of buying a shirt because you need a shirt, we now buy a shirt because it, um, it, it, it expresses ourselves. It will um, put us next to the people we want to be associated with. And that part, um, which is not the t-shirt itself, but whatever type of social um, association it gives you, that is what intangible value is. So the tangible value would be the thread and the, the you know, the, the seamstress who put it together and, and all of that, all of that goes into creating the physical shirt. But um, once you throw an alligator on there or like a polo or something like that, you are now immersing yourself into a whole community, into a whole culture. So it's very important people understand the nature of intangible value when they're in business, when they're trying to build an audience, because it's kind of your responsibility to validate an identity that is already existing and perhaps needs more space or, um, you know, just kind of like that affirmation that they are seen and, and can um, get along. <laughs> Yeah, it's ironic that you're saying that to a guy who's currently in a Supreme t-shirt, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's very, very interesting. Like, I feel oh, like... Supreme's one of the best case studies. I mean, the fact that they can, you know, make a brick or whatever, the Oreo that they did. I, I use their examples a lot because, you know, to the outside, everyone's like, oh, I don't get it. Why is it blah, blah, blah? But it is it embodies a whole culture that comes from like the nineties, like a skater culture that comes from the nineties. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, um, just, just like even that whole like streetwear culture thing. I feel like there's definitely an aspect of that to people kind of feel like, you know, there's a tribe element to it. Um, yeah. just in the same way there is with sort of any interest, like there's definitely, I have a tribe in stand-up. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of pro wrestling. There's definitely a tribe there as well. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like you gotta. All these interests can't. It's like that's why I think Tyler the Creator is such a genius because mm -hmm. he went and made his own music festival, um, and it's created this like it's the only music festival I feel like that has a real, um, how do I articulate this? Like there's a certain type of person that goes to Camp Flogna. And I know that like the lazy right. memes and stereotypes are, oh, well, there's also a type of person that goes to Coachella, but this is different. This is like, right. if you go to Camp Flogna, nearly everyone's wearing the same sort of clothing. You know, right. they're all into the same sort of music. They're kids that like, like really hefty hip hop beats, but at the same time, love R&B and jazz, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he sort of like made a place for all these people to go once a year and just have fun. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the beautiful thing about that is once those people step out from that music festival, they are not, they, they stand out you know, in the general world, right? So this is like the one place where they can like really hone in on that particular aspect of their their identity, um, which is just, yeah, it's very important. And again, back to the whole human nature thing, we are tribal by nature, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and a lot of that has been kind of changed just because of the the states of politics and things like that, but we still seek that tribal bond with people and we have the opportunity to do it through, um, music through fashion through um you know through all these things so we're mm -hmm. still the same <laughs> absolutely um 
we touched very lightly there earlier on uh, like sort of how you view social media in general. And I wanted to ask, yeah. what is one thing that excites you the most about social media? And what is something that worries you the most about social media? I think one thing that excites me is that I think that the next era of social media will be less vanity metric-y, <laughs> meaning mm-hmm. like less, you know, Facebook-y and Instagram-y. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Those aren't the most ridiculous definitions, but I have videos about it. I can't like get into it into too much detail, but basically these are platforms that are very much based on public facing metrics, which create very competitive, icky behaviors on the platform. Um, They're also not super creator friendly, but I think that, um, you know, platforms are picking up on how important it is to work with creators instead of against them. Um, And when I say that, I mean that creators are the ones that are providing the free information and entertainment for these platforms to be profitable in the first place. And so I think that we would be better off if all three of us, meaning the consumers, the creators, and the platforms, if instead of them designing the platform to kind of manipulate the distribution of our content, like my content and your content, just for them to sell ads, that maybe they can start to build in algorithms and incentives that work with what value we are providing and actually help us get in contact with the people who actually want to hear from that from us isn't it crazy that we live in 2021 and we have the internet but it's still pretty difficult to get your message like all the like every to every person in your audience there's a stat that i read that up to 75% of your audience can miss what you see on Instagram um, or what you post, sorry, on Instagram, because their algorithm just cares about like, how do we move your content in a way that will help us sell ads? They're not thinking, how do we, you know, get this in front of the people, like in the, you know, in the way that we want it to. So I'm hoping that, you know, in the future we have better creator-based incentives built into the platforms. Um, as far as what worries me, I, I just did a podcast episode about the, the fake eyeballs. I don't know if you heard me talk about that, but basically, um, there's a HBO documentary called fake famous where they just kind of buy these kids, um, uh, Instagram followers and they buy them fake engagement and they try to make them into like. They try to like lab experiment an influencer from like beginning to end. Oh my God. And yeah, the, <laughs> the documentary basically um, suggests that Instagram and Twitter don't really have a real economic incentive to cut down on buying the fake bots. Like we sometimes get the memo like, oh, we're cutting down on like, you know, bots. But he was explaining how when it's time to report the quarterly earnings, you know, Facebook gets to benefit from, you know, a, you know random influencers buying um, fake followers and fake engagement from these click farms because ultimately they look 
like engagement on on the Facebook platform. So yeah. I was just kind of going off in the episode because I was like, wait, hold on. Not only are we an attention economy, which means that we're trading our attention instead of our money, which is very depressing because our attention is the most scarce resource we have, but we have chosen to dilute the currency of our the already like unethical currency of our, our attention by buying and putting in fake attention and fake eyeballs and <laughs> fake engagement into this attention economy. Yep. So I, that's the part that I'm scared about. <laughs> that's the part that concerns me. Yeah, that's that's mental. Even the fact that they made a documentary where it's like this is this is sort of how easy it is to make one of these people to make yeah. an influencer. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Not all of them were successful. One of them was more than the other, but you know, it still gets you to think. That's why I just find those social media to be so much like smoke and mirrors. Because it's even like, even how I talked there about my friend who posted like uh, the page of that book, right? Mm -hmm. I just think it's funny how, like an example I would think of is uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, me and my friend went to this uh, comedy club and it was empty, but we were filming like a kind of documentary thing that we never ended up really finishing. But anyway, uh, mm -hmm. it was an empty room and an empty stage. And he was like, he's a photographer as well. And he's like, can I just get this like shot of you with this neon sign in the background? Can you like hold the mic and pretend you're like doing a gig? And I was like, all right, this is kind of awkward, but yeah, sure thing. So right. he takes the picture and I'm like, of course, it's an amazing picture. Josh is really talented. But then I, I go, uh, I'm going to put this on my Instagram. And the amount of messages I got from people back home in Ireland that were like, man, it's so good to see you doing oh. so well in LA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember your first gig here and there. And, you know, I just had the right to them be like, there was fucking nobody there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was an empty room. That was a photo op. But it just... Yeah. Show how like that got me thinking then where it's like you know you can really craft uh how you want yourself to look on instagram right like yeah. if i was to say if i wanted to make myself look like a reader i could just get up in the morning i could go to a coffee shop buy a coffee put it down and then take a random book maybe go like three quarters of the way through the book bend the spine yep. down put it beside the coffee take a picture and everyone be like Oh my God, like uh, McCann's reading a lot these days, you know? A hundred percent. So my last episode or second to last was about the story of the separation of substance and appearances. Because basically what you're describing is that as long as you perform the behavior of appearance, mm -hmm. it won't matter if you actually have the skill or the substance that would qualify you for whatever you are trying to be perceived as. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of why I was asking about the comedian stuff, because I know in the music industry, I know in the fashion industry, um, and pretty much every other media industry, people aren't checking to see like, you know, do people actually care what this person has to say? Are they actually good at comedy? Are they actually good at music? Or are they just good to look at? Is, does it just look like they're doing it. Um, yeah. And that's very scary for people, for like artists, because most artists get into art because of the substance that it has. <laughs> like, we're all in this to be, like you said, we're trying to have that 3 a.m. feeling. And we're in that like 12 p.m. kind of world where it's like, 
people just want to see what's right there in the daylight and really easy to consume. And most of our social media is so image-based. And a lot of my work too is about being very sensitive to how images influence us on a physiological level, meaning that we absorb visuals, um, you know, like I think it's like 60,000 times faster than any other form of like stimuli. Mm -hmm. So we have an emotional reaction to images. We, in a sense, in a way that doesn't allow time for us to reason what we are looking at. And so we will just start to form an opinion and an attachment or perception just at what we look at. And so what Neil Postman talks about in his book, which he wrote this in 85 before we even had the internet, um, you know, he theorizes how a president like JFK, you know, became, uh, you know, one because it was simply uh, during the era of television and looking the part started to matter more than having what it takes to, to um, you know, have the part. You know, I'm not saying that JFK wasn't like a good president, but I'm just saying that like looks all of a sudden became this, um, you know, feature that you needed. <laughs> yeah. Whereas before the television, you know, people were just listening to the debates and stuff on the radio. Yes. So. I mean, your podcast very nearly gave me a complete existential crisis when uh, you talked about, <laughs> I mean, like I was literally, I was walking and I had a latte and I was like, my brain's racing far too much here. And she's just dropped us in the middle of my morning walk. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck am I living in? Uh, but you were talking about that. Um, I, I can't remember if it was a study or um, it was like when they, they talked about when American households were just starting to get the TV and they uh -huh. noticed a difference in households oh, the and a TV with the kids. I was like, what yeah. is this? Can you, <laughs> can you tell that again for the sake of the listeners of this podcast? Yes. Oh, it's so creepy. So I found that in a super random book that I didn't think I would find that in. But um, it was a book about rites of passage, which I'm really into because I'm into life stages and maturation, things like that. So it was a Native American community who happened to be very isolated. And um, I guess the government, at, the, television had become so widespread as internet is now, where the government felt um, responsible for providing access to the television just as like a right, you know, like a, like a civil right. <clears throat> um, and so I think, yeah, they gave the television to like one household. And mind you, these are very traditional, like Native American communities. They're not super technologically advanced. So it's kind of invasive to have this te television come in and they, Prior to, um, you know, the TV, they would, their entertainment would be like telling stories, you know, telling bedtime stories, you know, to get the kids to go to sleep and stuff like that. So they let the television go in, I think, like half of the community or something. And the kids were no longer interested in having those bedtime stories. Um, some of them even said that, like, they started to develop, like, attitude problems and, like, were a little bit more, like, disrespectful in the home. And the families that had received the television told the other families to be careful. They kind of like warned them about how it kind of changed the, the energy and just the mood in the house. Um, so that was, that was the story. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just saying, I'm reliving the state that I was in when I first heard that. And I'm like, this is so funny. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I was thinking there too when you were talking about uh, how we do live in such a you know image based society currently. And yeah. I was, you know, I could hear the pain in your voice because obviously you're a writer and I'm mm-hmm. sure that's something that you're constantly like thinking about in terms of, you know, you could write this, you know, um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're constantly battling against captions on Instagram, you know? Right. Yeah. And that must be how I feel whenever I show my nephew uh, a George Carlin set and he says, Aww. well, it's not as funny as something on TikTok, is it? Oh. <laughs> Okay, so wait, you did you see the um, George Carlin from the seventies? Uh, him talking about time—that's my favorite. That's like one of my favorite bits ever. That was period. actually that. So your um, your time podcast was the first uh, episode of your podcast that I listened to. And, okay. Um, when you talked about George Carlin, I was like, "Oh shit, she knows." <laughs> <laughs> it's like. Fuck yeah, I'm strapped in now. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's amazing. What what I love about Carlin is he was able to take such like, you know, innocent sort of thoughts, but like presented from the being of so this good. like cynical kind of man as well. So good. You know? It's fantastic. So good. I've never to this day, I've never seen anything as cool as that time bit. It's just it it to me, it is tech philosophy. I think I don't know if you, I don't know if you watch, I don't know what comedians you like or hate. Cause I know comedians can get kind of like, I'll say one name and you'll be like, ah, so I'm not <laughs> well, trying to offend you, but I, I would like to actually hear comedians that you like. I'm very intrigued in that. Okay. Well, I'm not, I, I, for me, like, I love that bit from George Carlin, but I wouldn't say like, I watch a lot of his stuff or like I'm into a lot of his stuff. And I say that to say that I can be into bits without being into the comedian, like a hundred percent. Yes. Of so course. what I was going to say is that that bit is great for me because it it's philosophical and it has te- it, it's tech philosophy, right? He's talking about the clock and and he's talking about language and how language and the clock changes our perception of time, which is like whew, great. Mm-hmm. The other time I saw that recently was with uh, Seinfeld's last stand up. It's on Netflix. Yeah, twenty four hours to kill. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> is it like a recent or did you say it was it's an early recent. special? Yeah, it's it recent. Might, yeah, it might be a 14 kill. I've never even seen a Seinfeld stand-up. I've, I've seen the show and I've enjoyed the show, but this was like my first like, you know, watching a full-on stand-up. And the whole thing is like tech philosophy to a point that I made a YouTube video where like I compare, you know, like my boring philosophical analysis to like his like awesome jokes that make everyone laugh i'm like fuck like i wish i was <laughs> because i could get this word out so much faster yeah just but... just take just take your current mindset alex right you're very deep <laughs> philosophical way of thinking right and your great mm-hmm. articulation and just sprinkle it with dick jokes and watch the people come in <laughs> you know <laughs> i really i hope i can get to that point um so yeah i i, I thought that was great um yeah, and I love I love Chris Rock. I love who else do I love? I like Chappelle's stand up as well. Then you know I have comedians where it's like I like their stand up, but I don't like their acting, or I like their acting, but I don't like their stand up. So it's again, I it really it's material based more than it's like comedian based for yeah. me. But Seinfeld's a weird one for me, where it's like you know I watch a stand up, and I myself I'm not like crazy into it. But then right. anytime I've listened to an interview of Seinfeld, 
Uh, I'm pretty like obsessed with people who are obsessed with something essentially. And yeah. you can tell from listening to Seinfeld how his brain is just constantly in bit writing mode. And I'm like, that's a real craftsman. Like that's someone who really yeah. cares about what they're doing. Um, and it's like you're, you were talking about your friend, like the, you know, he believes in the New York way of doing things, which is on stage every night, working out bits and, you know, getting a bit to a certain level where you think it's, you know, punched up. Um, right. And then, you know, trying a new bit, maybe it doesn't work and coming back. And it's, it's that act of like, you know, stand up is literally all about showing up, you know, yep. showing up, going to the clubs, playing for people that are there to see you, playing for people that aren't there to see you, playing for people that are there to see the main act and you're the support. I think it's the hardest job. I think it's the hardest job in the world. There's nothing more intense, I'm sorry, than like going on a stage with nothing but a microphone and being like, okay, make us laugh. Like that's crazy. <laughs> like, like every other performer has like shit around them. You know, they have dancers and props and lights and yeah. like comedians. It's just like the mic and maybe a bottle of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're just up there a bit. Like, so I was at Walmart last week, and uh, here's what I have to say about that experience. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's great. I think. Like, I don't really yeah. try to think about it too much because when someone breaks it down for me, I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Oh, you know who I love too? You know what show I love? Okay, so my whole thing about the comedy, and I think comedy is the most enlightened art form, and I've said that, and I've always said that. Oh, wow. It's be- yeah, it's because, ugh, I don't know. Okay, so there, I, the, in Eastern philosophy, there's this concept of um, life being a drama. You know, ancient Hindu philosophies doesn't see, doesn't obviously have like this traditional Western like religious God, but they have like multiple gods and all this stuff. And that essentially everything is um, kind of just a drama. Like literally it's some God or whatever is like project, projecting this like stimuli of crazy shit, which is just happens to be our reality and there is good and there's bad and there's, you know, there's comedy and there's tragedy. Mm-hmm. And the joker, you know, or just the gesture of this community is the one who knows. It's the one who's like, he knows that this is all just like, you know, in the context of like uh, Eastern philosophy, it's God like showing off. It's seeing like how crazy can can this reality get and so the joker knows and that's part of why the joker can laugh at everything because he doesn't take life too seriously literally right Mm -hmm. um and i i I say that to say too i've always been very fascinated with um clowns (laughs) like the art of clowning is like i have a high respect for and i i was gonna bring up um a show called baskets i don't know if you're familiar with Uh, it zach galifianakis oh my god fantastic and louis anderson oh my mm-hmm. god that show is the shit and that show just makes me feel all the feels and i just have a lot it helped me even deepen my respect for the our art of clowning and just like the role of clowning in a in a civ- civilization mm-hmm. um so yeah i'm all with it like i'm a stan <laughs> that's great that's amazing <laughs> yeah because like um it's very interesting you say that about the whole Joker thing because, uh, yeah, I think in equal measures, that's what makes, like, doing comedy feel great is, like, you know, you can't, like, your job is to, again, sometimes I'll have these peak experiences when I'm, you know, I've just done a show where, 
comedy is that thing where it's like, and I guess it could be to do with anything. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. But, um, like when you're, when you have sort of like a dream job or a dream career, or even like a dream route that your life can go down and then you kind of get there or at least very close to it. It's very, very handy to start to go down the route of, you know, what's tough about it, what's hard about it, you know, mm-hmm. the flaws of it, um, things that you would prefer in another line of work. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'll come off stage and I'll be like, I just got to talk to like 150 strangers about my deepest thoughts and insecurities. Right. And they're like laughing back in validation. And yeah. I get to talk to people. I have this podcast where people will listen to me. Uh, and I'm just like, it blows my mind. I'm sure you're finding the same with your own podcast where it's like when you see the figures and you hear the feedback and um, you hear how people react to it and you hear how people are like showing their friends and it's just, yep. it's amazing. It's very, it's an amazing existence to have. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, what comedians provide is relief. They they provide communal relief because that is what laughing offers us you know it's such a sacred part to life and 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 sustainability for our communities you know what I mean like people think it's like oh just ha 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 but it's those ha ha ha's that keep us a lot like keep our shit together because if we didn't have the space to exhale like that into ha 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 like we'd be super wound up and I mean I know there's been a lot of criticisms about how you know comedy has been attacked and and in various directions um and it's interesting from a philosophical standpoint because it's like people do need the space to laugh um and it's it gets really sticky really fast you know it's kind of crazy but um to ask you very quickly sorry just to uh to ask with regards to your podcast what was your intent behind starting your own podcast my intent was to give my thoughts the best medium to be comprehended mm-hmm. or just, yeah, my, my idea is the best medium to be comprehended because they kept getting lost in other mediums. Um, and so, yeah. And how have you been finding it so far? Cause your podcast, when did you start it? Sorry. I started in October. Okay. Of 2020. Your your podcast is like one of those ones where, you know, and this is just co- coming from a fan, uh, you know, it's 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 that good that I could easily binge it. Like I could listen to an episode every day and take in what you're saying, but nice. I like wanted to like drip it out. Like I wanted to listen to one episode a week because I'm like, I don't right. want to like, go through this and have nothing more to listen to. Right. Um, <laughs> And I absolutely loved your episode on letting normal life be enough. Yeah. Um, where you just talked about how you had this realization. Um, mm-hmm. Can you break down uh, for people listening what that realization was and how you were able to enjoy life for what it currently is? Yeah. Um, so my story is that I got into social media to be famous, to like have all the external things that I thought you needed to be happy. 
And I actually succeeded at part of it um, as far as just like having my appearance was great. Like not just like how I look. I don't mean how I look. I mean, just like on paper, you know, um, and I was still miserable. And I was like, wait, well, hold on. Like, why, why doesn't everything feel good, even though everything looks good? Um, and that's just, you know, it's a very typical, naive, you know, rabbit hole of being a young adult. And um, I'm happy that I, that I hit the wall early on because I was able to add more real years to my life because I quickly understood like, okay, it's nothing external that's going to do this for me. Um, I'm going to have to just focus on, you know, the, the things that were already here, but I wasn't paying attention to. And again, back to this conversation about sensitivity, um, I was drinking coffee every morning, but it wasn't until I was like, wow, like, all I need is this, like, this moment is one of my favorite things to do, or, like, being in the park. I realized just how, like, simple and free, (laughs) like, mostly free my joy was. It wasn't based on, you know, having all these um, external things. Now, keep in mind, I still like external things. I'm still a pretty, you know, like, aggressive business person, (laughs) depending on who you ask, (laughs) but I don't get you know, I, I understand that I care more about living than I care about working. Um, and I ultimately work so that I can, you know, create a lifestyle that, that I love. So yeah, I just, you know, I, I just, um, that's what I think made, made me realize that, and I, you know, I, I just, I looked around too at my peers, my peers were also really chasing I had reached a certain level of success and I was like, okay, like we're done. Right. And everyone around me was like going harder and harder and harder. And I was like, wait, when are you guys going to stop? Like why, why I almost felt like something was wrong with me because I was content. And that's a deep theme that I talk about because I often say like, you know, you're not, a, it, it, some people will think something's wrong with you if you're just like satisfied, you know? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're like, it's taboo to be satisfied. It's taboo to be okay with like having your basic needs be met, um, which, you know, I don't, that's clearly reflected in the state of the environment because we keep exploiting it and, and thinking it's supposed to give us more than our basic needs. Absolutely. And do you feel like that, do you feel like that has to do with how like, normalized we've allowed self-improvement to be do you feel like it's almost like oh, yeah. a detrimental effect oh yeah yeah because like, even like it's like with self-improvement it's like a lot of there are, there are some things that are of absolute value and you know there are mm-hmm. messages that i feel like i've i've read some things or like heard some things where i'm like i just want to share this with everyone that i know i just yeah. that's why i wanted to have you in the podcast as well i mean there's so many people that need to like hear the messages that you have but i'm like at the at, at the same time then on the flip side of that there are these people who they almost like take advantage of the vulnerable like the idea that there's a life coach these days blows my mind uh, yeah, you know what I mean, because it's like I, I get that there is definitely a percentage of these people that really do want to help people. Yeah. But then on the on the other side, it's like you know, if you're saying that your your whole thing is that you want to help people, but then you're charging four grand to come see you speak, you know, right. when when does that you know how how is that your main goal? You know. Right. Yeah. Um. 
I, I have a, one of my favorite lectures of Alan Watts is called Why the Urge to Improve Yourself. And he basically, you know, topples the idea of the ego on itself, meaning that his whole premise is like, how can you improve yourself if the self that needs to be improved, um, you know, needs to do the improving? Like, basically, it's a, it's a conundrum. It's a paradox. It's, um, it, it's pointless because you, by design, are flawed. Not to say, you know, you should just be an asshole and tell everyone to, like, you know, fuck off, but that... <laughs> you know, leaving room for your natural human imperfection and loving that instead of trying to like scrub it out. Um, And and again, going back to tech philosophy, most of this technology is trying to improve the earth as if it doesn't already have the exact placement in the, uh, in the, um, the the cosmos right like there were somehow in this like earth with the exact amount of oxygen and air and water and food and yet you know we're we're trying to like improve it even more I, I I'm not saying that I think we should invent zero technology but I'm just saying that like just this idea that yeah there's this constant need for that um improvement to to have this like mechanical perfection when we are not machines and the planet is not a machine and and that's, you know, that's not the point. So I, I agree with you. Um, I'm very, like, when I see the self-improvement stuff, I'm like, ugh, you know, I can get into it a little bit in regards to, like, maybe business and stuff, but I, I run into that a lot because people hear my, you know, my critique on social media, and then they'll be like, well, Alex, I tried to, like, stay off Instagram and I'm like, why are you telling me that? Like, I, I don't have any gold stars or cookies for people who, you know, like, I, I'm like, the point is not, oh, you're a winner if you get off Instagram. What I'm trying to show you is that Instagram and, and, and um, features like that exploit your physiology. So mm. it's not even so much, you know, it, it, it's, again, it's exploiting like your physiology, which means that it's not so much that oh, it's a, it's a matter of you acting your discipline on it. No, it's unfair that you're already fighting this thing that's tapping into a neurological, you know, layer of your anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, that's my point. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've spoke about Alan Watts a couple of times, and I know you're a big fan All of them just from listening yeah. to your podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm keen to know what are some other major inspirations in your life and also on that topic, if you could give, I know we've just shitted on self-improvement there for about 10 minutes, <laughs> but if, if, you could give, if you could give a friend of yours um, one book, what would that book be? Yeah, okay. So other people who've inspired me, I said, uh, Neil Postman, Marshall McLuhan was, he's like the grandfather of media ecology, Aldous Huxley, of course. Um, I also enjoy, um, certain economists free, like Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell. Um, I also obviously love Steve Jobs and I, I like Bezos as well, um, from Amazon, um, and so those people inspire me a lot. Um, and also just any Taoist stuff. So um, Lao Tzu, any Taoist like 
stuff, ancient Chinese stuff. Um, as far as books, if I could just recommend a book, oh gosh. Um, well, I do have an Amazon bookstore if people really care nice. <laughs> because yeah, it's, there's so many and there's, there are different categories, but um, right now I'm reading The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Robert Greene is the man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. I'm enjoying it. It's 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 a good refresher, you know. Um, so I would say check out that. He he just recently published it. I also just bought Jerry Seinfeld's book and he's in my queue after this. Um nice. and to your point, like I don't watch all his stand up, but I'm sure whatever is in his book is probably interesting and full of like cool stories. So I'm sure you got a lot of comedians on the podcast, so Absolutely. Robert Greene also has a book called uh, Mastery as well, which Mm -hmm. um, I dug into last month. And again, just like the obsession I have with people who are obsessed and he just like does a deep dive into it. And it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, Let me see here. So this is this is me being selfish. Essentially, I'm like, you know, I can't have you on here and not ask one question that wouldn't uh, benefit me directly, but then also be <laughs> anyone else who's listening to the podcast. You know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. What I want to ask you is, um, what is your advice to uh, people with regards to handling criticism of their work online? Um, that's something to me. Um, yeah that I have struggled with in the past. And it's something that I've had to really look at in the past year and kind of like break it down and sort of figure out why that doesn't really matter. But I'm keen to hear kind of your take on that. And if you have had to kind of go through anything like that yourself in terms of the work oh, yeah. that you publish. Yeah, great question. So I'm actually writing a script for a show that my team pitched to like a brand and it got greenlit and it's like, Oh yeah, so exciting. But it's like, okay, now the real work happens and I have to write a script and I have to turn it into a team who basically has to like pick it apart. (laughs) And you know, the feedback's been great, which is great. But I remember thinking as I turned in the first one, which is always the like scariest one to turn in that I am so happy that I took writing classes, um, you know, a few years ago, because in a writing class, you know, basically it's the same concept. You write stuff and then you turn it in and then people critique it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me some thick skin because I know, especially I'm sure it's the same thing in, in comedy because it's essentially writing, right? Like you need to do what you can to develop thick skin um, because it just makes the whole process way less painful because even if they turned it in and they were like, this is horrible. Like throw this in the trash. I honestly could handle it. You know, I, I I told myself like, you know, if they hate it, they hate it. Like it doesn't mean they hate me. It doesn't mean it can't be fixed. Um, you know, first drafts are usually very shitty. So that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, and I think too, as a writer, um, and just whatever, whatever art you're in, you have to be really confident in how much breathing room there is in the the piece itself being improved you know yes um so yeah i think you know get a head start get a head start on getting criticism so that when it's time to really get the the feedback of the world it's not you you can detach from it it's not going to like break you absolutely 
I, I feel yeah. like what kind of helps me with it is just making stuff that I myself um absolutely can stand by. I feel like yeah. in the past mm-hmm. when I've got kind of criticism on anything, it's something that I myself looked at and went, ah, yeah, that could have been better or that kind of is a bit lazy right. or that's a bit hack or something like that. Um, but when it's something that you can kind of stand behind and be like, listen, I worked hard on it and I like it. And that's sort of all that really matters is what I think. That's all you, know? you can do. Yeah. I, I would say too, um, for people listening to check out bird by bird it's a book by Anne Lamont it's 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 often um recommended for writers but it will help build your confidence whenever you have to like present or perform um Stephen King also has a great book called on writing and they just get both of the books get really intimate about just how like ugly and boring and insecure the process of writing is and how like that's how it's supposed to be. You know, I think yeah. like when I was writing my book, you know, I was just like, of course you want it to be perfect and you want it to sound good. And it's like, once you get really comfortable with just like the ugly process of getting it out and being compassionate with yourself enough to get it out. And even like compassionate when people critique, like you're, that's what really makes you a writer in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's the comfort level. Cause the worst thing I see is people who are talking about this book they want to release for like five years and they're too afraid to like upload a blog post, you know, yes. because it's like, well, you're, you're, you don't have skin yet. Like you have paper thin skin. Like you need, if you want to take out a book, you really need to like just publish now. <laughs> and it, it does come as well. Like I want to make sure people listen, uh, hear that as well as like, as someone who was very thin skinned, uh, as you say, you don't belong in developing way thicker skin when you're doing uh anything that is sort of being released into you know an audience online yeah um i'm actually quite intrigued to hear about your own writing process um how do you actually like kind of write yourself yeah well i i've always like written since i was small um so it's just kind of like a hobby for me you know it's very therapeutic for me to write. Um, but I think it's just, it's based on my relationship to reading. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the more you read, the better you write. I definitely agree to that. And um, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you got to take the prestige out of it. It's just like any under, other industry, where, especially with writing, like, ugh, like some, there's a whole like culture of literature where it just gets icky and it's like, Ugh, this is not even fun anymore. Like, yeah, you know, you don't want to get so critiquey. You know, it's just like a food critic where it's like, ugh, like can't even enjoy the food because now the food has to be this like, you know, it takes the humanity out of it. Um, so yeah, I just I write all the time. I read all the time, and I the my writing life is I is the least glamorous part of my life, and it's supposed to be. Like, it's just this really, like, honest, like, (laughs) I can't even, it only has a sound effect. You know, the sound of a first draft is, it's painful. It's like, ugh. You you know, but that's the sound it's supposed to make. 
yeah, you, you still feel that way even after like all this time. That's what, you know, that's what, it's the same with writing stand-up. It's like, yeah, when I sit down to think of a new premise, I'm like, do you also ever get that imposter syndrome where you're like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about? Well, I mean, it depends on what I'm writing, right? Like there's all different types of, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing like creative nonfiction, which is my favorite, just kind of like essay style talking about like personal stuff or just my point of view, I won't really get imposter syndrome because it's so intimate. You know what I mean? It's so, yes. like you said, I can't get it wrong because it's me. Yes. Um, so it just kind of depends on what I'm writing, but you, one of the best things that you will read in that Stephen King book, whoever picks it up and it, it, it makes the whole book is he's like, people always want to come back to a voice. It's not about the this, not about the fucking characters and the plot and the, blah, blah, blah. they want to hear you. Um, and they can hear you even through a plot or a character or whatever, you know, they need your style, just like a, a movie director, right? They need to, that's what they're going to come back to. And up until that point, I had a draft resonate and it was so like technical. It was like very like marketing. It had no, it didn't have my voice in it. And then mm-hmm. after I was reading this and turning my stuff in and I was just like, wait, like I can just like talk, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. can just use my voice and he's right, you know, and my favorite writers, that is what I'm coming back to. So my inner dialogue was congratulating me throughout that there um, because I achieved uh, one of my own personal goals that I had set when I scheduled this interview, which was to get you to curse. Um, so that was because <laughs> I'm like, she has such a nice, soothing voice. And I'm like, just say fuck one time. <laughs> oh, please. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> I got it in me. Trust me. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like I feel like over in, in Ireland it's different. Like we'll say fuck to like join words together. Do you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> or like if we don't know what something is. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um but yeah, that's 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 absolutely fantastic. Um I, I want to hear as well about your creative business school. Um yes. which I plan actually on buying the courses for as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So basically I get asked the same question a lot. (laughs) Um, They're around like content strategy and like, you know, how do I create a brand for myself? How do I like, you know, promote myself on social media in a way that doesn't feel like cheesy? Uh, How do I, you know, do this authentically? And so I basically answered all those questions and I put them in a course. Um, and so creative business school is all about that. I also just launched something really cool called answer vids. Um, and it's for people who have questions about like content marketing or branding. Um, but they want like a specific personalized answer. So the course is great because it goes over like, you know, the how to the, the fundamentals and everything you need to know. But then there are some folks who are like, I have a very like unique situation or I want more depth. Um, and so I'm doing those as well and, and they've been really fun. And basically like people turn in a video or an audio of them asking me a question. Um, and then I respond with a, a video with the answer <laughs> and they get to keep it and, you know, use that for reference for what they want. So it's been nice. That's amazing. Yeah. That's You'll have great. to include the link. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely will. Um, I, I also wanted to ask this, has the pandemic itself 
changed your outlook on anything? And then on top of that as well, what are you personally most looking forward to in post-COVID times? Yeah, um, I think the pandemic definitely helped me get focused. I feel like we're all kind of like we've all reevaluated life. So I feel like I had some more distractions before and obviously I don't have those now. So I'm just more focused and bunkered down. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to what everybody else is looking forward to. Parties, hugs, you know, just like being able to sit next to people. Um, that right now, that's going to be one of those like peak experiences. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, my God. Human beings. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I will be in a smoking area on this year and I will be looking around and I will be peaking like fuck in that place. <laughs> Same, same. I can't wait. And I'm not even like, I'm not a party person at all, but like, I just, it's been that long. So even the introverts are ready to go outside. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, I feel like introverts are going to come through with like, you know, they're going to be ready to fucking go. They're going to have their <laughs> introspection time. They're going to have their like, 24 right. hours and go right back. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be like the Amish community whenever they go crazy for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. I was I was like talking to I, I use Clubhouse but like not in any of the ways that it's intended in terms of like you know people go on there to network and people go on there to give value in what they say right. and uh, I'll go on like what I love about Clubhouse is the fact that on the news feed right Mm-hmm. Um, like at the ver- the first couple of rooms is like cryptocurrency and you know right. uh, is your relationship toxic uh, and then <laughs> you like keep scrolling down and then eventually you'll get to like this room where there's like four people and you just enter it and it's someone cussing the other person out on the front <laughs> they owe rent money and I'm like this is the best app that's ever been made <laughs> This is absolutely fantastic. It's just hearing this this household drama in Atlanta, Georgia, while I'm in County Tyrone, <laughs> Northern Ireland. This is absolutely great. Um, yep, power on the internet. But uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I think that like I think that I was on a room the other day in it, and they were talking about you know, they really hyped up because in the, in the, in the UK, oh, sorry, more specifically just England, um, mm-hmm. the prime minister released a roadmap, um, which was essentially breaking down, like, you know, uh, restaurants will be open on this date and on this mm-hmm. date, you know, you can visit a loved one and all this here. And then the very last one, which everyone sort of like really zoomed in on was 21st of June, uh, all social restrictions will be lifted and nightclubs will reopen. Ooh. Literally, uh, they put in all social restrictions lifted and they felt the need to put in there. Oh, but yes, that, that does indeed mean nightclubs. <laughs> wow. So uh, on this clubhouse, these people were just like romanticized in the standard nightclub night out. And nice. uh, one, one thing they were talking about, which I thought was pretty funny, was uh, the difference in like, you know, a couple of the girls in there were like, I just can't wait to go to the ladies and <laughs> get complimented on my outfit and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah. And I was like, Jesus Christ, the man's is nothing like that. You know what I mean? The man's, <laughs> you're like trying to avoid a fight and then using a toilet cubicle <laughs> where the person has managed to pish on the roof. 
<laughs> but um, <laughs> I was I, I was thinking like, do you think that after this, we're all going to have this sort of collective, deeper appreciation for life in general, or do you think like two months in, we'll just be straight back to it? No, I, I think we'll have a deeper appreciation. I I really do, and I'm usually a cynic, so that says a lot. Are you really? I, I do. Oh yeah. You definitely don't come across that way on the podcast, <laughs> or at least I what I've listened to so far. No, not at all. Oh well. But you you do, you, do, you do say some things, and you're like, oh yeah, I hate to be you know like a downer or whatever. Well, and I'm I like, I don't think that, that was for the optimist on in on the line because I could it can be a lot. Um, Listen, but... if your optimism is in any way strong, it should be able to handle one uh, podcast episode. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But you you said it. I, it can get pretty existential. So I, I just, you know, I, I like to <laughs> try to moderate it. But yeah. you're right. But yeah, so I, I think that we will go back um, and have a deeper appreciation. I think a lot of us will also be germaphobes. I think this generation in particular will be germaphobic. Yeah, I'm like very intrigued to see. Like, I have a couple of friends who have had, uh, you know, their their firstborn child in the past like year and a half, and I'm like, what is going to be? When are they going to do the science studies to like look at children that had their formative years during a pandemic? Right. You know. Um. Yeah, that's very interesting. And my final question to you, Alex, um, if you could go back in time, if you know we had the ability to time travel and you could go back to you just before you created boss babe. What is one piece of advice that you would give to yourself? (laughs) Um, I would tell myself that, I mean, I don't know. I I was doing things pretty cool. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I had to go through those really ugly years to get where I am now. Yes. So I would just say that, um, you know, I would say you're not as smart as you think you are. And that, um, you know, your, your late twenties are like a different decade than your early twenties. So just look forward to that. In what sense do you mean that now? I just feel like the, information I knew at 20 versus what I know this is my 29th year Mm -hmm. um, is just so exponentially different I got to learn so much you would never know this was one decade so I'm and and I say that like I'm excited I'm so excited about like you know the future decades of my life so that's great I feel like when you're in your early 20s you're just pray for the world's bullshit you know you're just you're just a sitting duck for like all types of insecurities and crazy things to happen so isn't that like a weird thing though about perspective because like i i always ask that question but every time i ask it i'm like this isn't an annoying question because like perspective itself can only really be gained when you go through it because exactly yeah it's like how many times has someone that's older than you give you advice about those one yep you know, and then you you don't really listen to it. You take it in, it goes in one ear at the other. And then next thing you know, you're the age they were when they were giving you the advice. And you're like, yep. fuck, they had it nailed. Yeah, they're trying to tell me. Exactly. Well, there's certain things you you have to learn through experience. I always think about, uh, like, my, my granddad used to have this, like, um, 
photo album, you know, and when he was showing it to me at the time, like I was just a young child and um, mum would show it to me as well. And we would just like flick through these, like this like photo album of all these like pictures, which also, if I'm going to existentially freak myself out again, (laughs) I think about that where it's like, everyone has their own photo album on Instagram. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like, I'm just thinking like, sometimes I like look at people and I'm like, you do know that you're probably going to reproduce someday and your child will maybe see this. No? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like at the time, like looking at it, you know, you're a child and you can't comprehend it. Uh, right. But now looking back, you're like, damn, granddad was on some shit there because he's like <laughs> capturing moments and put them in, in a book. Like, you know, who would even do that nowadays? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Alex, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure. I had so much fun. I am so glad you had fun because, you know, I've like looked at your previous interviews and they're by people who are far more intelligent than I am. So I was <laughs> like, you know, we'll get her on here and we'll we'll have a rattle at it. But uh, you were great throughout. And uh, yeah, I just I just loved having this conversation. Yes, I'm, I'm very honored and happy to, to have it with you. So thank you again. Where can people find you online? Yes, I am Alex Wolf on Instagram. That's Wolf Like the Animal. I'm Alex Wolf Co on Twitter. And my podcast is the Alex Wolf Podcast. Check it out. Do check it out. Absolutely <laughs> do check it out. Um, and just watch out for the occasional existential crisis. <laughs> but it's absolutely fantastic. Alex, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.